Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. Uh, we are talking about fear, uh, and we started this last week. Uh, we talked about fear of what last week? I nailed it because you guys remember. That is amazing. Uh, what was it? Fear of people. Okay, fear of people. How we struggle with the fear of people, whether it's how we, uh, are, we're afraid of what they think about us or our house or why we do certain things. Fear of people is something we all struggle with even if we think we aren't really afraid of things. Today I want to talk about another very common, a very broad, but very important way that we are afraid and what God has to say about this. Now, I was about 12 years old, uh, 10 to 12 years old. We were living in St. Louis, Missouri at the time, and uh, my siblings introduced me to two TV shows that would eventually mess me up, okay? Uh, the first of these was The Twilight Zone, which I thoroughly still just love The Twilight Zone. They have all these marathons of the old one with Rod Serling. Love that show, love that show. Uh, it was a little creepy. Some of the episodes a little creepy. But then the second one was the creepiest of them all. Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. Let me tell you about this guy. Um, for those of you that are young and don't know anything about Alfred Hitchcock, one of the best suspense writers ever I, for TV, movies, you name it. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock would make shows creepy, not because he would show monsters or, you know, horrible things. The thing about Alfred Hitchcock was that he would lead you up to a point where your imagination starts running wild and you start imagining all these awful things and then the show would end. And you're left that way with just your wild imagination keeping you up at night, which is what it did to me multiple times, all right? He just messed with my mind. Uh, he had a very well-known saying about what he th how he would go about writing his stuff. He says, you know what, there is no terror in a bang, only in the anticipation of it. There's no terror in, like, just, you know, something spooky happening. Okay, people jump with that. But what's worse is when you're anticipating something horrible, something scary, something awful is coming, and then you leave people right there. There's a more modern filmmaker named M. Night Shyamalan who has really borrowed from Alfred Hitchcock. He's tried to do that thing where he doesn't have to show monsters and stuff like that. He just plays with your mind and your imagination runs wild. Now, all of you, you may not be an Alfred Hitchcock fan or M. Night or any of those, but I think all of us have probably experienced this in some way where we're afraid of something we can't see or something we can't control. You go camping. Let's say you go camping by yourself, okay? You go out in the middle of the woods. You're not at one of these cute little campgrounds with all the families and people around you, okay? You are in the middle of the woods. And if you aren't an experienced camper such as myself, you are laying there in the middle of the night and you are hearing noises around you that you should not worry about but you panic okay you hear a snap of a twig near your tent and you are convinced it's a kodiak i mean it's it's that bad and you lay there and you can't sleep it's not like i have personal experience about this i'll tell you about new hampshire sometime anyway i, I you your mind it just goes wild wild imagination and so we've all experienced this in some way shape or form 
And if that doesn't connect with you, let me give you a couple other examples of this. Where we fear things that we may not be able to control, fear of things that are unknown. Your doctor, who you just had an appointment with a week ago, calls and leave a message with you and says, hey, I need to set up an appointment with you. It's pretty important about your last examination. Now, all of you are like, oh, I can't wait. He's going to get together with me and tell me how stunningly good health I'm in. <laughs> how did you do it? Uh, you know? No. Our brain starts to run wild and think, oh, no, this is it. Your boss says, uh, we need to have a conference. Can you set up a time that we can meet? And has a very serious look on their face. And your brain says, this is it. Done. It was a fun 20 years at this company, but I guess it's over. Parents, you get a call from the principal. We need to set up a time to have a conference about your child. And your brain automatically says they're expelled. All right, I got to start looking up private schools. Uh, you have a spouse that has that serious look on their face and says, we really need to have a conversation. And again, you're thinking, I hope it's to tell me how wonderful and beautiful and handsome I am. But most of the time, you know, all these scenarios, our brain just goes to that worst-case scenario setting. We imagine things are going to go bad, especially those of us that struggle with pessimism. There's never any news that we cannot somehow spin and twist into something horrible. And so we fear for things that might go out of control, things that are awful, things that may be bad or troubling to us. You know, it, 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 these times like this serve almost as a Petri dish. And the Petri dish can really go one of two ways when we have fear of the unknown or fear of things we can't control. It either breeds terror, anxiety, uh, stress levels. But I also want to say today that it can also be a Petri dish for your faith in God and his control of your life and your circumstance. We are going to look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Uh, a familiar passage right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching. It's one of his most well-known, well-recorded sermons. Uh, I love teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as he's been teaching, he's been talking about money. He says, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve money or possessions and God at the same time. You serve one or the other. And so after he gets done talking about this importance of not being addicted to possessions and money and so on or having this love for it, he then transitions into this and says, therefore, because you can't serve two masters, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Before we move on, Jesus says, you know, you can't serve God in money. Therefore, because of that, don't be anxious uh, about your life. I'm not going to ask how many of us have some anxiety in our life right now. Students, kids in school, you may be one of them. And I bet, I would bet, although I shouldn't bet in church, I would bet close to half of your class is dealing with anxiety as well. Anxiety is exploding. Fear of losing control. Fear of things we don't know. Fear of things we don't understand. And here's Jesus 
saying, therefore, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or the clothes you're going to wear. Is not your body more than clothing? You know, he points out something that as humans, we sometimes worry about what we're going to put in our body or on our body. And we treat them as, as though those are the ends themselves. We miss one meal. And for some of us, and I include myself on this, it's like the end of the world because you missed one meal. How am I ever going to survive this, you know? Uh, and we panic. Or, we, you know, uh, we these base needs of existence, food, water, we panic when there may be a shortage. I will say this, and this is just a side note. Uh, the team and I, just a little teaser for the Dominican Republic team, we came back from bad conditions, okay? Uh, uh, the conditions that we were working in were not optimal. There's, you know, a struggle for food and money and so on with the people that we were working with. And I told the team when we were there, I said, here's the thing. You think this is bad. Haiti's worse. Haiti was worse when I was there. There is no guarantee of food. There is no guarantee of clean water. There, there are these troughs in Haiti that I remember seeing through the city. And what, it, 50 yards down, someone's washing their dishes. And 50 yards down, someone's bathing in the exact water they're doing their dishes. And another 50 yards, someone's getting that water to drink. That's really being afraid of what you're going to eat and drink. Jesus says, don't be anxious about these base needs that you very humanly struggle with. You know, I, I mentioned uh, the word anxiety a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to have my volunteers come up this morning. I did a great job last time. And I used one of my T-shirts because this, the word anxiety here in the Greek uh, gives a, a longer definition. Anyone remember what it was? Being what? Stretched in how many directions? multiple. If I was to have the guys back up here, the word for anxiety is when you are being pulled in every which direction at the same time. You are being stretched. Has anyone here ever felt like that or feel like that today? You're being pulled a hundred different directions. Recently, I heard a podcast about a guy dealing with worry, not a believer. And he said that he, from a psychological viewpoint, uh, they have examined the average American life. You every day make about 35,000 decisions a day. You do. Right now, you're making a decision if you want to believe that. Okay? There's one. Um, you made a decision about what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on your toast. You made a decision about what cereal you're going to make. You made a decision what time you were going to leave. You made a decision about what clothes you were going to wear. You made a decision. And you're not even done. We aren't even halfway done today. Okay? You think about every single decision you make, 35,000. What has changed over the last 20 years is they believe that at least 20 to 30 and beyond years ago, people made roughly more like 10,000 decisions a day. Anyone want to make a guess as to what changed things? Technology. Now I am productive. I can do 100 things at once. I can email while I'm yelling at my kids and watching a show and listening to music all at the same time, and I made the decision for all of them. We think we're productive, and now we're being pulled. When you are making 35,000 <laughs> decisions a day, that's a chance to be anxious about things, to worry about things, because you don't have 10,000 things to worry about. You have 35,000 things to worry about. 
And over the last six years, there has been an increase in anxiety medication and prescriptions of 30 to 40%, especially around those that are about 30 and under. 30 to 40% jump. Yes, there's been some crazy things happening in the last few years. That definitely helps things. But the anxiety of decision-making and bad choices and so on, there's plenty to be anxious about. Here's Jesus saying, don't be anxious about anything. What you're going to eat, drink, or wear, isn't the body more than clothing? There's something more important than the decisions of the food that you eat and the clothes that you wear, and that is your life, your very life that is a gift from God. See, Here's uh, one of the things I want you to take away about worry from this first verse. Worry fixates on the unknowable future instead of the knowable present. And we're going to see this more throughout this passage. When I worry, I am fixated. I am stuck on worrying about the future. What's going to happen? How am I going to provide? How am I going to work? How am I going to do all this? How am I going to graduate from high school? I fixate on that and I become consumed with it even though there's a present day that I'm living in. And that's important for something Jesus is going to point out in just a moment. Worry's fixated on the future. And it's unknowable. I have plans tomorrow. But the reality is, is I don't know if those plans will come to fruition. Okay? So we move on. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, if you remember last week, similar verse out of Matthew 10, Jesus says, don't two sparrows cost a penny? And yet your Father thinks more of you than them. And yet he also takes care of them. And Jesus, this is four chapters earlier, he says basically the same idea of, You know what? Look at the birds. I don't see too many birds that are knocking on the door saying, can I come into Cider and Spice Sunday? Okay? That's weird. Okay? That's an Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds. Anyway, so this is all coming together this morning. My brain's percolating. So uh, you don't see birds doing that. You also don't see birds just hanging out in the tree expecting us to have to go feed them. God takes care of the birds. One thing that was interesting about this, uh, again, in the uh, original language here with Greek, is this could be translated, learn from the birds. Uh, Let them be your teachers. There's a lot you can learn from them. John Stott, one of the great Christian writers and theologians, he even said that there needs to be a new branch in theology that's everything we can learn from birds because Jesus seemed to use them a lot of his illustrations. We can learn a lot from them. It says, look at the birds. They're not worried about it. They still have to hunt for their food. Don't get me wrong. But they're not worried about it. They still trust that God is going to provide for them. And God values you more than them. You are more valuable than an Oriole. You are more valuable than a Blue Jay or a Cardinal or the Phillies. You're more valuable. <laughs> you are more valuable. He goes on in verse 27 and says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, "Who (laughs) can you seriously put enough effort into worrying that it's going to change things? 
I mean, if, if you've got that, that's a superpower. If I just worry enough about my kids, everything's going to turn out okay. I just really got to try really hard and have some ulcers and all of that that happens with it. Really, do you think that's going to change matters? He says that the, the flowers of the field are dressed better than Solomon himself. And yet God looks out for the flowers. Now this isn't saying that you're going to be affluent. There's some people that like to twist this passage of scripture and say you're going to be rich, you're going to be healthy just if you have enough faith. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. And that is twisting what Jesus is saying here. He is talking about your needs will be met. But more importantly this, this is the second thing you take away about worry from this verse. Worry changes you, not the problem. Worry changes you, not the problem. No matter how much I worry, no matter how much I want to uh, think that I can just come up with the perfect solution, please don't spill this. Um, I'm on a roll today. I'm going to go down here with this instead of up on my table. Um, someone said if I asked if I was doing a Barbie baptism today. No. Um, worry weighs us down. Worry ultimately weighs your life down. You know, if you've really worried about something, it weighs you down. This, if you can't see, sorry, uh, but we're doing our best with a smaller tub this morning. Um, if I had a bigger tub here, you would see us a little bit more. The Coke can's sitting on the bottom of this right now. When we worry, it holds us down. It keeps us from living the free life that God gives us. When I choose not to worry, when I choose to trust the Lord, make sure this works right because it was being really weird with me today. Okay, yes, we're working. If you can look close enough, it is floating in there. I need a bigger tub, but that's okay. I didn't have an aquarium this morning. Um, the, Coke is the Diet Coke, just so you know, is floating in this, whereas the Coke is sinking. Now, why is that? Sugar is heavy, and it makes you heavy. I attest to that. Sugar weighs down the Coke can so that it will sit on the bottom, whereas the Diet Coke has all sorts of chemicals in it that will preserve my body for a thousand years, okay? And I drink it all the time. Uh, and it floats because it's lighter. Many of us are living a Coke life where we're letting worry, anxiety, fear hold us down and sink us, whereas... We're called in this passage to trusting in God to alleviate that heaviness that we can have of worry and fear, to just trust him. I'm not trying to use a cliche here. I don't want to be insensitive, but it paralyzes us and it weighs us down and we do genuinely need to trust God as we will see and keep our focus elsewhere in the next few verses. I had this uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher out of Britain, said this. He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. When I become fixated on tomorrow, I am stressing out about the unknowable future as we talked about a second ago. And I am expending all my current energy, spiritual energy, uh, physical energy, you name it, all today for something that hasn't even happened and I haven't even had to face yet. And so it robs us. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You've been so worried about something that you just can't move off the couch. I've been there. 
You just can't move. It just sucks out your energy. When I choose that, then I'm choosing to think that somehow that's going to make things better. But it ends up changing me more than it actually changes the situation. Verse 30, Jesus goes on. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus uses a third illustration. Now he's using grass. He says, you know what, grass, we're getting to that point of the year. It's all starting to turn brown. Back then, this is grass that they would cut, and they would put into an oven that was made for cooking. That's why he's talking about the oven here. He says this grass, you know, grass is great in spring. It's green, and it's growing, and you have to mow it a thousand times, but it's beautiful, and God looks out for that grass. He's going to clothe you. He's going to meet that need. It may not be an excessive affluence or a richness and all this, but he will make sure you survive. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus talked about faith a lot. He says, if you have the faith of a what, you can move mountains. A mustard seed. So a mustard seed, very tiny. If he says, oh, you of little faith, he's saying you have less faith than a mustard seed. That's basically faithless. Faith is key to overcoming fear. And I know if you've been raised in church, it's like, yeah, I know that, Dan. But sometimes I think our heart questions that because it just seems too simple. It seems too simple. Jesus goes on. He says in verse 31, Therefore, conclusion, people, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after all these things. They want to have control of the situation. They want to know everything. They want to be able to provide. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Take comfort in the last line there. God knows your needs. He knows them. He knows your desires. He's not ignorant. He's not distracted. He's aware. He is aware. Therefore, don't be anxious about all this. And he says here, don't be anxious like the Gentiles, those that were not following God, those that had no relationship with him. Uh, This is one of the things that's weird about Christians is when we actually just trust God, unlike the world around us that fears everything. See, one thing out of this that stuck out to me this week, and this is the third thing you write down, worry is a shift of power and control. And this is what makes it so scary. Worry is a shift of power and control. When I choose to worry, I shift power from God and control from God to myself. Because now I believe I need to be in control of this and I need to find solutions without him. Because he's not moving fast enough and he's not doing what I think he should be. It is a shift of power and control. It's a shift from focusing on our maker to the person that was made by him. It's a shift from the sovereign God in charge of everything that is going on in human history to finiteness, finite humans. It's a shift from consistent God who never changes to inconsistent humans who change their mind a thousand times a day. It's a shift of power and control from being farsighted and trusting that God has a bigger reason than I can understand in this moment to becoming obsessed and focused on my part in this story. And it's a shift from trusting him to becoming a control freak. You want to know why so many people deal with the anxiety? And again, personal 
here, struggles in my past, I have to be able to control everything, and I can't. You can't. And yet, we somehow fool ourselves that we're going to be able to do it. I just have to get my mind around all this and come up with all the solutions. And I'm convinced this is how God grows our faith or it grows our anxiety. We know God knows our needs, and we can have a calm confidence in his provision. Another quote I saw, this is an author from about the 1920s, wrote a book called The Prophet. He said this, our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. As I said, we exhaust ourselves in having to control, predict, plan, etc. How many of you are planners? You like to plan things. You know, you already know what you're doing for lunch and, yeah, this week. I'm a planner. This is a struggle. When you're a planner, you sometimes get so obsessed with it that anything that derails a change in your plans throws you off. It throws me off. I do not like surprises. You ask Beth. She has stories, okay? I don't like surprises because I'm not in control of the situation. It wasn't what I was expecting. I want to know everything I'm doing right up front. Anxiety doesn't come from, uh, does not come from thinking about the future. It comes from when we want to control it. Jesus makes this point. You know what? You can't add anything to your life. Don't be anxious. Your father knows your needs. He will provide. And I want to say this little side note here. Sometimes we come up and, and, and we'll hear a person in church that's struggling with something. And it's very easy for us to go and we don't really know what to say. So we say, well, there's a couple of things we might say. Just trust God. I'll pray for you. Or as this meme I saw this past week said, when you're going through a difficult time and someone says, you just need to pray about it, you respond, my goodness, what an idea. Why didn't I think of that? And I know that people see this, and it's true. We do need to trust God. We do need to pray. What I fear is sometimes we say it a little bit flippantly without considering the emotions that the person is working through. We do need to consider that. Yes, we can tell them the truth of what we know. Because I know most of them know. Trust God, faith, prayer. We know that. But we need to walk with people as they begin to surrender control of the situation over to God who is sovereign. Again, I know that intentions are good when people say this, but sometimes it can just be said in a flippant, harmful manner. Verse 33, Jesus then wraps all of this up, and he says, you know what, don't be anxious about all that stuff. God knows what you need. You can't add anything to your life. Instead, here's the solution. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know this song. A lot of you know this from back in the day. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Another way that this can be worded, seek the kingship of God in your life. Handing over control to the sovereign king. Letting him be the one that controls things. And you don't be concerned about that. Seek first his kingdom and then all these things will be added. He will provide for you even if it's just enough to get you through. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You think that today is the last day that you'll worry? Nope, there's going to be some tomorrow. Guess what? Tuesday, go ahead. Those of you that are planners, go ahead and plan down worry time, okay? Because it's coming. 
And tomorrow it's going to have its own worries. We seek first the kingdom of God. We resolve to live under God's direction, his provision in our life, his protection in our life, and most importantly, his presence in our life. You want to change anxiety? It's knowing the facts. The facts are this. I don't control tomorrow. There's enough things to worry about today. But I know that I have a God who will provide, protect, and at the very least, his presence is with me if I have given my life to him. He's with me. I was reminded as I was reading through this verse, Psalm 23, 4. Uh, Psalm 23, one of the more famous hymn, uh, song, or excuse me, psalms that people will memorize. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And it's a, it's a passage of comfort. If you're ever really down, it's a great one to read. But I don't want us to skim over verse 4 of this. Because verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And why? Because of what Jesus just said. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, a, a shepherd carries a uh, stick. This is the last prop, I promise. Um, carries a staff for a reason. A couple reasons, really. One, probably helps him walk, especially if he's an older shepherd. Two, if a wild animal comes up on my sheep, this is immediately going to become a weapon. And I am going to bop that thing on the head or do whatever i got to do with it. Okay, so you have that. It's meant to guide sheep. You put your confidence that the shepherd's going to lead you where you need to go. He, he provides for you with that. And at times, us as human sheep can't do this, but if you and I are walking up a very steep hill, and I'm the leader, and I see you're struggling, you know what I can do with this? Grab onto my stick and help pull you along. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, even in the darkest of dark valleys. I'm not going to fear any evil. You know why? Because i got the shepherd with me. God is with me. It's easy. There's a million things we can be afraid of this morning. There's a million things we can be scared to death of. But if we have put our faith in Christ, he is with us at all times. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And it is hard to deal with anxiety and fear. It is hard to trust him at times because we want to know the future. All of us want to know the future. We want to know the end of the movie. But the point is this. Great faith stories start with fear of the unknown stories. Great faith stories always start with the fear of the unknown. You look throughout the Bible, example after example after example, from Abraham to Esther to uh, David, any of these things that we say, wow, they had great faith. They always start with the unknown, something that those people could have been afraid of. It starts with an unknown. If you want to have great faith, we're going to have to face the unknown, but we're going to have to commit it to the one who holds our days in his hand. We must confront the unknown, but we must embrace the facts of today. And the fact is that you are not alone. There is nothing going on in your life that he has not helped others, or he may have already helped you through at another time in your life. There's nothing out of control in your life. Nothing. He does care. He is with you. He will guide you. He will provide for you even if it's just 
enough to get by. Provision is everywhere. So I say, what facts will you choose to believe in today? The facts that you think you can control it? Or the facts that he already knows how this ends? And he's got you in his hands. My challenge for us this week is this, to surrender tomorrow's worries by submitting and surrendering to him today. Surrender tomorrow's worries. We can be so consumed with everything that's coming, what might happen, and yet we now need to just take a moment and submit to him today. One thing I want to throw out there, I forgot to mention earlier, some people have said that, you know, this can come across very idealistic of of Jesus, that he's just saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat for lunch, it'll just happen. Don't worry about your check, you can quit your job. You'll just have money come out of nowhere. I don't believe that's what Jesus' point is. His point is, is he will provide. As I said, birds still have to hunt. I still have to go to a supermarket and hunt. But he has it under his control. Am I willing to surrender the worry about how I'm going to provide and how I'm going to retire and how I'm going to do all this stuff by surrendering to God today and understanding he is with me, he provides for me, and he protects me. And that's good enough for me. I'll worry, I don't even need to worry about tomorrow because he is with me today, providing for me today. We do not have to fear the unknown. 1 Peter 5, 7, another verse you can look up later, and many of us are familiar with. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him because he what? He cares for you. He cares for you. Cast them on. Maybe you need to get a suitcase and write everything you're worried about right now. Put it in the suitcase. Get the suitcase. Open your back door and throw it out the back door. Your neighbors are going to think you're nuts. But sometimes even just the physical act. I did something similar to that when I was in college. And I had a million things to be afraid about. But there was something where I just said, no. I will choose to trust God today. And that's good enough for me. Maybe you need to do something similar to that. Rather than to fear the unknown. I close with this story. Um, There was a story about a... uh, Persian army who had a captain, and uh, his job was to execute prisoners. Not, not a pleasant thing. And he would bring the people that were up for execution forward, and he would give them two choices. He would say, either one, you die by firing squad. They're right over there with their guns. Or two, there's a big black door. You can go through it and accept the fate of whatever is on the other side of that door. And one of his soldiers asked him, man, why do you do that? He's like, it's just fascinating. The majority always pick the firing squad because they know what's coming. They know that they have a say in it, and they choose something that they know and they can see. He said, well, what's on the other side of the black door? He said, that's the sad part. It's freedom. There's nothing on the other side. They could walk through that door and be free from death but instead they choose what they think they can control. How will you live your life? Will you trust God or will you keep anxiety chained to you? Let's pray. Father, um, I don't know where everybody's at this morning. There may be people in here that are paralyzed by fear about something in their life, whether it's health or family or 
finances, Lord. There's so many of these different things, and it's, it's, it's a human experience, and it's normal for us to be scared. But, Father, for those of us that have committed our lives to following Jesus Christ, that have asked you to forgive us of sins and have started that relationship with you, I ask that you would help us to find comfort in seeking first the kingship of God in our lives, that we lay it down knowing you, the the sovereign king, provide, protect, and are present with us. You are aware of what we need, and worry is just a waste of time. Lord, for those that are struggling with worry, you would give them victory this morning and freedom from these chains that just seek to sink them to the bottom rather than to give them the freedom that comes from accepting your sovereignty. Oh God, that you would give us that freedom. That you would help us to be different here at Grace Fellowship because unlike the neighborhoods around us where people are consumed with worry, they turn on the news and they fret about a thousand things that really don't affect them personally, that we would be different because we trust our God. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, Father, may today be a day of freedom for those who are paralyzed by anxiety and fear. May today be a day of change that they resolve to live under your kingship and to surrender it all to you. And so, God, we go out of here as free people, free from fear, free from anxiety. And we do it because you love us and you care for each one here. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net, and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.